And welcome, everybody, to the Bandit Radio Hour, uh, whether it's podcast, YouTube, whatever you're doing. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, my numbers have actually <laughs> grown more than I thought they would within three episodes, so thank y'all, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we're going to try to do our business to keep you entertained, a little informed, but whatever we do, I promise it's going to be a unique conversation, because uh, I'm giving y'all free admission to the madhouse that is the Bandit's Head, uh, and it's, it makes for a fun movie reel. So, uh, we're going to start it off today. I know I, I'm, I know the first three episodes is like almost nothing but like, oh, conspiracy theories, and CIA, and government stuff. This episode, I'm going to try to stay away from a lot of that stuff. We'll, we'll include a little bit of it. I just want to get in some, some of the different stuff that I like wrapping my head around. Is it like 80% political theory and government espionage? Yes, but like the other 70 to 20% is also a little bit of fun. Uh, sitting here with Merce, we are in our bunker station in the middle of a pasture in southwest Florida next to his citrus grove that consists of six trees and uh, a lot of cow pasture. And to, to kind of give an idea of where we're at, you travel on a nice state road for about 10 to 15 minutes outside of town. Then you turn down a smaller paved road where I saw the first house on the left. I remarked about it to him when I got here. Someone was using a plastic tarp as a hammock. We're classy around here. And here, here's the thing. It wasn't like a meth burnt out trailer. It was actually like a decent, looked like a nice little setup of a house. But then you got a, literally like rope and a blue tarp that the guy's laying on. I'm like, they, they know how to survive <laughs> they know how to use a lot and make it or a little and make it go a long way but yeah you travel about uh five minutes down that road turn down a dirt road past a bunch of peacocks and chickens and ducks and people not taking care of cows very well and you're here and and what would appear to be an off the grid uh meth lab with an audio set up in it but that's a joke we're not producing meth yet anyways uh, I don't know how <laughs> we'll, we'll get I'm our, not we'll, saying we're not I'm just saying we don't know how <laughs> so if you if you buy if you if you are a meth buyer and you're going to buy some and it turns out to be candy rocks you know you've been visited by uh, by the bandit and the Merce's uh, supply train yeah uh, but alright Merce how's your week been anything exciting anything interesting oh, I mean I almost died yeah, he did almost die. Yeah. Uh, t- tell us about that, uh, the genius. Oh, apparently you can't barrel roll a uh, skid steer. No. Bottom, bottom of a hole and it's full of water. And then you also can't get out of said skid steer. But, but hey, you can't tell me I don't have an awesome producer because uh, he, he did flip a skid steer into a hole if you didn't hear. Like, how deep was the hole? Oh, like 10 foot. Like 10 foot. Yeah, he, he dropped down in it, went sideways. And God bless him, he thought to pull out his phone and record it and uh, his last final moments of the cab maybe filling up with water. But uh, he got out. It was funny to, funny to watch. It was a, it was a good stuff, Merce. Maybe we'll, I always wanted to like, call my own death. You know I mean? maybe, not, not many people get a play-by-play. Maybe put it on TikTok. That's all I'm saying. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> nothing we ever make will ever be put on TikTok. So help me God, if you are one of them people that enjoy it, good. My ADD can only be numbed down to like YouTube levels. I can't knock it down even more to TikTok levels. Uh, that's uh, although I have watched some YouTube shorts and those are funny, so I I can get. But no, there's there's too many. Do you ever see like the TikTok compilations where it's? I've seen people do it in public, and it just angers me. <laughs> that like at least 
at least we have the mind to come out in the woods and be be secluded to record our thoughts. These people you see on like a subway train. I've never been on a subway, yeah, but and they're like, hey, this is Molly McGee, and I'm just sharing my thoughts in front of 20 other people. I'm like, what, what gall do you have? Yeah. Who, those 20 other people don't want to hear your stupid opinion. I don't have that self-confidence. No, no, that either. That, like, thank you, 20 people who want to hear my opinion, who have tuned in for it. But, ah, oh, God, that, this, it, it's funny. I was, I was telling Merce, my producer, before we started, my, my daughter, who's about to turn eight, was asking me, what? What are you taking off to do at Mr. Merce's house? I'm like, oh, don't, don't you worry. I'm working on a project. Because the, the last thing I want to tell my eight-year-old daughter is daddy's going to say his thoughts onto the internet for people to listen to. Because, like, and dude, so, all right. I don't like my kids having phones at seven to eight years old. But and I remember before I had kids, I thought this was such a non-problem. Whenever the, the common thing I hear is just don't give them a phone. And the before I had kids, you hear back, but all the other kids have one. And I always thought that's such a dumb excuse. Raise your kids the right way. But when everybody else has a phone, it does suck to see your like kid like, oh, I'm, all right, I can't get that stuff. So we got our phone. We got protections. But you watch in the main YouTube, like YouTube makes it, I'd say 99% of the time we've used it. It's very safe and kid friendly. The only thing I can think of out of the blue was she got a weird advertisement for a game you can download on your phone that was something about touching butts and so like it, you could tell almost like someone made it as a college project like it was such low tech and low grade, uh, but then we reported it you know to own of my app yeah yeah <laughs> it was nah dude it was some weird like Middle Eastern made real weird stuff uh, no nah, but. What I'm getting at is the video she would watch is like other eight-year-olds and their parents recording them and like the eight-year-old is playing and and building a tower that the parents come and act like a monster and tear down. <laughs> the, the, the first, the real like superficial first layer of it I'm looking at is uh, there's, they have like... 8 million views. <laughs> like they, every single one, like dude, that's low numbers. I'm... There, there, there are families out there that have hundreds of millions of views. And like, dude, the video will be like, oh, I made my daughter a $1,000 birthday present that I've made like 10 feet tall that she has to climb and tear down to get her prize of a real Rapunzel, uh, what would it, carriage like, that you can pull behind horses. And it's like, dude, for, first of all, like there is one part of me that's like, well, they're they're getting paid to play with their daughter and they're like on a superficial level that's good but on the other hand i'm like what a superficial way to raise your kid what a like hey just let everybody look at you and you can get free stuff and you can't you can't like maybe their parents really got their ethics like down on solid foundation or something like that but it's like ooh, they probably just are like britney spears i don't know maybe britney spears has good parents i don't know but I, I think Britney Spears probably should still be under. <laughs> she cray. Yeah, <laughs> she she cray. I'm, I'm I'm glad she got her freedom, but she's she's definitely crazy. She's yeah, she's that's definitely crazy. Ooh man, you know she like already has two or three kids. I I don't know her personal life, but I know that, that she, you, she's been free and she's been like going. You imagine if your mom is Britney Spears. I mean, I'm not. I don't have to get a job. 
But you don't have to get a job, but when you go to school, they're like, hey, you want to look at this picture of when your mom shaved her head and showed her <laughs> vagina to everybody? And it's like, what? <laughs> like, God, and your mom's crazy-ass Britney Spears. Yeah. Like, no, honey, touch the stove twice for good luck. Like, I don't, I don't know what she does, but something like that. Um, I love Pepsi. <laughs> Yours was probably more accurate. That's a, I don't know. Why, you know, who knows? What if she was like, like meant to be like one of the smartest people, but fame just got to her head and made her lose it? Like, I mean, it could definitely happen. Like I said, I don't know anything. It's like all I know is from what I see now. Britney Spears is crazy. <laughs> and you gotta imagine what, like, I don't know. Like maybe she was like eighteen whenever like she first got discovered and made it big. I don't know. We were pretty young. Like we we're probably like eight or nine. No, I want to say I was middle school, high school, maybe when she got. Maybe, but like, dude, I know when you, like, she had to have been 18 whenever she broke. And imagine how good of parents she has when it's like, hey, you're 18, dress up like a schoolgirl and go look sexy in front of all, from millions of people. And, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd better never have a daughter. No, <laughs> well, like, dude, all right. There, I am no expert. I got, I got seven going on an eight year old daughter. I got, I got an eight year old son. Uh, and, Daughters are so, I grew up around like nothing but dudes. It was nothing but like brothers, cousins, everybody was a bunch of bros. Uh, and quite literally a lot of cases. But uh, dude, like g- girls are just so fundamentally different and it's so alien to me. Like all of her dolls will have... <laughs> Reminds me a lot of North Korea. They'll all judge each other. <laughs> and like, like, they'll all be like, well, you, Ken and all the other Barbies saw you do this and you need to come clean with everybody. Okay, Rapunzel, I'll come clean. Da-da-da. I'm like, whoa, this is some real like Mao Zedong shit. Uh, like, did I get the Chinese leader? Yeah, I got that right. Good for me. Um, but it, it, it's pretty wild. Uh, but all right. So I told myself, I'm not getting deep in the politics. Not yet. We're saving that for later. Go away, Mao Zedong. Leave me be. All right. I want to get into some, like, cultural, theoretical stuff. Not not even theoretical. Let me take that back. Just some cultural stuff. Like, not even politics. And one of it's, like, that I have a hard time dealing with. As y'all can probably tell by listening to this podcast, is the ethics of cussing. Now, like, uh... Typically in the South, how, how me and Merce were raised up, uh, you know, my father, and, and he has a very good point. He, he'd say like a wise man can control his mouth and can control what he says. So it's a real sign of intelligence or discipline. Maybe discipline's a better word. It's a good sign of discipline when a man can control his tongue and not, not say curse words. Uh, but and even even in like a poker setting, like my dad wouldn't like just let him fly and say f this or not. Like I'm not even gonna. But it just you know when he's around like everybody, when you're around like your close personal friends, you just let it slide a little bit more than you do when you're around your grandmother. Like there's there's a difference, except except for maybe Mercer's family. They're actually pretty bold and open and honest around anyone they're around. But except uh, Aunt Kay, except Aunt Kay, <laughs> that <laughs> angel. Uh, but uh, no. Uh, so my, why do we have this? Why now? Don't get me wrong. I I understand not talking about the the 
most graphic movie you've seen in front of like your grandmother or your eight year old like kid for different reasons. Like why are words curse words? And I don't accept the South Park explanation that it'll actually bring forth a cursed dragon and it'll strike us all down. But like, like for, for, I mean, heck me saying Kurt, not even like woke stuff, but like, honestly, all right, you want to talk about a little bit of cancel culture for my guess, what would be the traditional right is when you actually cuss in a, uh, RSS feed or I don't know about RSS, but definitely YouTube, it, uh, goes into the algorithm and it's like, Oh, don't, don't promote that as much because they're cussing. And it's like, Oh shit. Is this something that organically happened where we were like, no, like certain words just you don't, or was it like, was it a top down? Like, no, we're going to start controlling. When they're like coming up with the language, some guy just came aboard like, oh, we're not, we can't use that one. All right. I guess I got to dive into a little bit of of political theory because you want to know something cool about language. It is the most anarch. I've heard this really neat thread line. It's the most anarchistic thing there is. There is no governing body that made language. There is no, it's not like the dictionary came out and then people were like, oh, this is how we talk. No, people organically figured out how to make sounds with their stupid face to communicate ideas to each other. Uh, And every time, there has been many attempts by different states and uh, different cultures to manipulate speech and codify it and like oh you can't even it's funny i was listening to uh, count dankula and even in like scotland and england and ireland there are songs that are illegal to sing because it might start a riot (laughs) like like if one block hears you singing this song and they're ethnically or religiously one way there it's fighting time Come out, you black and tans. Pretty, pretty <laughs> much, like it, it gets dicey over there. I'm not saying that's politically. I don't think there should what, be a what a part of the world, dude. What a odd, not odd, because like there's stuff that's like so cool. Braveheart is God, <laughs> and of course, like you, you three people listening, and God, I'm really gonna insult y'all because I know it's just in the UK. I, I don't think any of it actually was in Scotland. Uh, I, I saw my listeners from, which is like really neat. I got, I'm, I'm Mr. International. I'm on three continents now. That's it. It's nothing big. It just melts my mind. Uh, but yeah, and they got like all these censorship laws and here's my thing. Here's why I think a good example in the States is why you don't need censorship laws is because I think it's bad to say obnoxiously mean and hurtful things about certain groups of people. But at the same time, if you go in front of that group of people and say it, and they all beat your ass <laughs> when they're telling you not to say it or something like that, it's like, well, you're kind of asking for it. The it, it, you know, it's it's a problem that I, I guess kind of sorts itself out. Although there might be someone in Britain screaming into the mic like, "This is why we made the law. People kept singing and kept killing each other." <laughs> I guess not the microphone into the recording device, but, uh, I don't know. Like is, I can see a virtue to not using cuss words. And I can also see like a way to manipulate how you can control a culture by not letting them express themselves in certain ways. Uh, now, and you know, when I said cancel culture from the right, like given these, uh, 
I, I don't want my daughter like watching YouTube for kids and hearing cuss words fly. Like I, I, I like some, I like censorship on like a private realm like that. But it's like, why is adults in, I mean, there's not really ever been kids that, there have been kids that read newspapers, but I mean, I only just slip a fuck in there every now and then. <laughs> like, like that would, just yeah, just to spice it up a little bit. Well, I, I guess because people will call the, the FCC, well, it's not federal communications if it's FCC, but uh, I'm sure there's some codified regulation in, in newspaper editing or something why you can't say that stuff unless it's a certain type of newspaper or magazine. Uh, but just just something I don't, I, I don't even think Playboy drops the F-bomb. No, no. And on the other side of things, I do know people that, like, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm probably let a little bit more curse words fly on this than I normally say just because it's like free. It's just stream of mind coming out of this stupid mouth hole of mine. Uh, but I do know people that like every other word is a cuss word. And Merce, like we were talking a little bit about this before the before we started recording, Merce said, "Well, you know, there's a correlation between uh, in, what was it, intelligence and and cursing." I'd say definitely. Although I do know people that every other mouth out of their word is a cuss word, and they tend to be the dumbest people I know. Well, because they only know like five words. Yeah, they are like, and dude, it's like every time it's the same five words. It's like I, I get it. I I, uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way their mind works. Uh, no, I know mine works in such a unique and unusual way. I shouldn't, uh, I guess, I, I guess at the minimum, I was about to say I shouldn't judge others for just saying words with their stupid mouth holes or making sounds. But I'll admit, like if I, if we're at a restaurant, as much as I am about like freedom of speech and I'm sitting at like a booth eating with my family or not even eating with my family, eating with friends. And there's like a loud, obnoxious people at the next booth that are letting cuss words fly in a restaurant. There is a part of me that's like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> you you shouldn't do that where everybody can hear you being a loud, obnoxious prick. Uh, but uh, there I am. I hypocrite. Uh, so, you know, throw it at me. Uh, all right. So uh, getting into this ethical realm, I'm, I'm going to let my producer chime in on this conversation. I, my producer can proudly say he's, if I believe I'm, I heard you right, you've never cheated on anybody in your life, no. man or woman. You were with the gays, all of them, you were, you were good. Yeah, don't worry that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Narrow, but yeah. no. He has never cheated on a man. That's a logical fact. Yeah. <laughs> but, you got me there. <laughs> but, no, uh, he's never cheated. Uh, here's my question. I, I can't say the same thing but but different different strokes for different folks i i, I admit that uh here's my question merce what is cheating banging is banging <laughs> well no it's kind of a little bit everything if, it's if you've got to ask if you're cheating you're cheating if you're if, okay. you're if you're worried if you're worried about whoever you're with seeing what you're doing I believe you're crossing the line. Okay. And so, I'm just the type that if I'm ever in that situation, I'm like, okay, I shouldn't be in the relationship anymore anyways. All right. Now, see, I think that's, I think that's a good mentality to have of like, if I have this feeling for somebody else, I shouldn't be in the, I think that's noble. That's like a really, that's a really good thing. I, I was hearing this on uh, Be Discussed on the Michael Malice show. Uh, what has he got? You're welcome. Uh, and some neat doctor on there, like some, uh, uh, anyways, this was, this was kind of the discussion they got around. Here's my question. Let's say you're married. Let's say you got, you got your wife and you got a job and she's got a job. 
And let's say you start developing a little crush on a girl you meet, on a woman you meet. And it's like a... The, an- the answer is it's going to depend on how good my prenup is. Oh, <laughs> true. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, no, but like, like, all right, let me, let me put it on the other foot. What if she comes to you and being honest with you because y'all are married and she actually takes this stuff seriously on like 90% of married women I see. And she's like, hey, you're my husband. I'm going to be honest with you about everything. I met this guy at work. I haven't slept with him. I haven't done anything. I haven't touched him or anything. I find myself sexually attracted to him and I can't help it. And it's not even like it. I don't want to run away with him. I think he's actually kind of an obnoxious asshole I could never see myself with. Yet I'm with. She's just keeping to herself and think about him while we do it. <laughs> Close them eyes, bitch. <laughs> I know what you're doing. And I want you to do it. <laughs> that was actually good. That was really good. Touche. Uh, but see, all right, that's, uh, and it was neat. For the first time, I heard this guy, like, codify kind of my problem with a lot of relationships. And I've never really figured out how to put it into words, but this guy really helped me. I really take, like, if I'm getting married to a woman, or if I'm even in a relationship with a woman, this is somebody I need to be honest in every situation with. And it's something that really pisses me off about a lot of typical marriages is it's like, well, there's stuff you talk about the boys with and there's stuff you talk about the wife with. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is somebody I got to live with. This is somebody I can talk about anything with. This is somebody I can express myself around and be me, my aunt. And with anybody, it's going to be with the person I'm, but lady, I'm banging. <laughs> Whoa, Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> It's gonna, it's gonna be the lady I'm, I'm, you know, I'm with. That, that's mine. And that's, that's why I've, I've said it before. I'd gladly die single and live to a hundred and be single and pray to God my kids can take care of me, than be with someone I can't be around myself with. But like that puts me in a conundrum, because if I'm gonna be that honest with a woman, like I mean, I want to woman that I can comfortably say like, God, you know, look, look at that damn woman that walked in the room. Ain't she pretty? But like my woman knows that she's, I'm so happy with her. I'm so couldn't imagine my life without her, that that is not a threat to her in any kind of way. But I guess if I had to now, now here's, here's, I know all the guys are nodding, stroking their chin hair going, yes, yeah, no, I like this. I like, here's, here's where the part comes that y'all don't like fellas. Uh, <laughs> I got to be equally tolerant of her desires of her. And I'm not like, I'm not sitting here making an argument for like even an open relationship or anything like that. But you have, I think if you're not that level of honest with the person you're with and that will like, y'all are going to disagree. You don't agree with anybody hundred percent on everything. Uh, but I think it is better to have disagreements that y'all can work through or just accept of each other. And be like, all right, that's something we can't work on, but whatever, that's something we just accept. Then to like hide shit and let it boil up. Yeah. Cause I think that that is Oh, it's better just to agree to disagree. Yes. And it's all right. Here's where I'm really gonna gonna get off the rails. I mean, what if hypothetically all right, I'm scared of clowns, so y'all know this can't I'm not like terrified of clowns, but like I'm uncomfortable about them. But let's say hypothetically my my wife, my my muse, the one that completes me, uh, she lets me know. 
deep into our relationship that uh, clown porn happens to be her thing. Like, that's just what, that's the one thing that can fulfill her desire and nothing else for some reason. I'm just picturing a ton of guys getting out of a small car. (laughs) (laughs) That could be a terrible sexual innuendo. (laughs) The meme just popped in my head of the little girl. They're all big black clowns. But, like, what if that's the thing that gets her... That's terrible for me. But, I mean, like, what? so is it... Do you take, like, the stoic, traditional route of, like, no, you take them feelings and you bury them down deep and you don't think about a clown again. Uh, or do you buy face paint? Or do I buy face paint and give it a whirl? Like... Don't look in the mirror. I'll scare myself. If, if you are the clown, you can't see the clown. <laughs> you hear a lot of moaning and a honk. <laughs> but that, 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 that's, that's the music that goes on. Uh, but I, I don't know. So, so what is cheating? I don't know. I just know the one thing I'm certain of is that... No, it's, not, it's not black and white. Actually. No, it's not in so many... So many people make so many things sound black and white. And I actually think, and I, I'm not sitting here saying I know the solution to this relationship problem, but I think so many relationship problems stem from this root of there is certain information we keep away from each other. And I'm like, all right, devil's advocate against myself. Oh, I, I can hear the married guy. So you're telling me when my wife asks me if her ass looks big in this pair of jeans, I'm supposed to sit there and go, it's getting way too big. You need to lose weight. Like, oh, I, I uh, am that guy. Merce is that guy. Uh, uh, see, I have this weird thing about me. I always tell the truth, but I have a gauge and like, how much can I tell the truth where it sounds nice to this person and it's still the truth? And I... All of it. Yeah. 100% all yeah, of it. Yeah, immerse full throttle every direction. I'm, I'm, just tap the gas. Just give it a little tap and tap. Uh, and so that's why I'm doing this podcast, to try to codify my brain. And th- this is much more for me than it is for you people. This helps me keep all my thoughts into somewhat of a coherent line. Uh, so, yeah, we've gotten into cheating. We've gotten into cussing. Uh, I will tell you what we're going to get into next. And that is the Arizona Iced Tea Company. Uh, y'all all know Arizona. I know I, I drank them a lot when I was younger. They're the big old tall boy cans full of anything from what might be herbal tea, what might but I don't really know how healthy the stuff is. I know it's got high fructose corn syrup in it. And I don't know from, from what I hear that's bad, but that so so is the sun. Uh, but Merce, question. How much does an Arizona iced tea in a can cost? 99 cents. They have cost 99 cents since their inception in like, I don't know about since their inception, but since like the early 90s. And what the, we're going we're gonna to dip a little bit into politics, people. We're, we're going to get the feet a little bit wet now. Uh, they have been purposefully kept that way. And do you know why? They do not have a, uh, it's not a publicly traded co- corporation. It does not have a board of what what do you call it you're the financial expert what do you call it when you have a board of board directors board of directors it it is solely owned by one billionaire one guy and his quote was when they asked him like why do you keep it at 99 cents he goes i'm a billionaire 
Well, yeah, like my profit margins are getting slightly slimmer every time inflation goes up because I'm still making a profit. I don't answer to a board. I don't, I, I my, I'm a billionaire. I don't need wider profit margins. I, I'm still making a profit. It can stay slim. They don't spend a lot on advertising. Either. No. And dude, like, and by the way, they were started in New York, but what brilliant, like I am, I don't know. I'm either like really turned on by marketing stuff or really turned off by it. Like there's a, I can't even tell you what the difference is between what does each of those ends. But there for being from New York, like dude, when you saw their cans, it only came in like those cool teal or aquamarine colors or like weird garnets or beiges. And it's all like southwestern Indian looking stuff. It's made by some damn Yankees. Like that's so brilliant. Like we're gonna market the hell out of this brand of Arizona, which I couldn't even tell you why they started. I guess I should have done a little bit more research before the show. But eh, whatever. You know what you're getting with me. I'm, yeah. I'm, when you when you think of Arizona, you don't think of iced tea. No, you think of I. I am hot. I'm sweaty, and this is gonna be a lot of cold drink for very cheap. A dollar. You can walk in it. How much is an 18 ounce, or was it, what, what do the Coke bottles come in? 18 ounces, 20? I don't know, but I just bought like a big bottle of water at the Circle K, and it was $3.50 for like the the larger than normal size bottle of water. The big like liter? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is insane. That it was at Zephyr Hills? No, it was whatever Circle K brand. Ah! Just, yeah, because it was that stupid expensive. I just needed like, needed for some... Uh, I wasn't like drinking it. I just needed water. God almighty. Maybe yeah. them. All right. What do you think about bottled water? Oh, it's kind of, it's genius. I mean, it comes out of the sink. Well, here's my thing for, for people like working out in the field. It's a lifesaver. Oh, I love it. Cause that's yeah. Take it with me. You don't need a canteen. Like they literally used to carry or like a big Gatorade cooler full of ice water that, you know, uh, that that's how we did it when I was growing when I was growing up, that was starting to slowly phase out and bottled water was starting to slowly phase in. On that end, it's great. Uh, I hear, and if everything they are claiming is true, then there, there should be something to worry about. You hear a lot about how like Nestle is buying up water what like uh, a land that has giant water basins under it and like lakes and they're, and they're planning on monopolize like them and a few, a handful of other mega conglomerate corporations are planning on monopolizing, selling pure water and making that a market where the left would claim that's a human right, which it's, that's the most subjective damn term I've ever heard is what a human right is. Uh, but I'll say this, if, if it makes it harder for everybody to get water, if that's what that does and that is what those corporations are doing, then yes, I see that as a bad thing. But here is my question about this that I've never heard brought up. And this might cost money or whatever, but if there's money to be made, then, then people can make it if the government gets out of the way. You remember Survivor Man? Yes. The the I can't remember if it was specifically Survivor Man or Man versus Wild I saw this on. But you know, there there was Man versus Wild, which was Mr. British Green Beret, whatever he is, who would drink goat piss to save his own life than go stay in a hotel that night. It was yeah. it's pretty much fancy jackass yeah. uh in, in the outdoors. Then there was hardcore Survivor Man. Where he just who, took a camera by himself and like woods. dude, here's why I believe that guy. Cause you know what he does now? 
All right, l- little bit of a side rant. I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring it back. Survivor man now chases Bigfoot in the woods. He tries to find, and there's like, all right, dude. He goes, he goes squashing. He goes, he, of course, middle-aged white guy with not a lot to do. Like Joe Rogan said, you'll never find black people hunting Sasquatch. This is a weird white person thing to do. And I want him to be real, but I'm not going in the woods looking for the guy. Uh, but anyways, Survivor Man, hardcore man, who would, if you didn't hear Merce, go in the woods by himself with a camera, stay for seven days or however many days or whatever, and like survive the whole time off of what he found. And I remember this neat thing he did when he was stranded on a desert island and he didn't have access to fresh water. And he went down to the beach and, and he uh, dug a hole. Maybe it wasn't at the beach, but it was like a sand, a big sandy area. Maybe it was a high dune. And he dug a pretty big hole, and he got a piece of litter he found, like a piece of plastic, and put it over the hole, and put rocks around the plastic. So you got like a hole, and you got a sheet of plastic over it, not not clung tight, hung where it's like loose, and it hangs in the middle. And then he put a cup under that and poked some holes in it. And what this ended up doing was when in the morning it would do, it would all collect on this little piece of plastic, all drip down to the center and drip into the cup. And he was like, well, he could get enough to keep him sustained, like he did this in a couple of different places, and it was like plenty of drinking water for him. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting every person goes and digs a hole and finds some plastic. That's, but like, there's a, there's a scientific thesis, not thesis, That's a, but I'm, I want to say scientific method, but that's not right. He is harnessing some way of the science of how to get fresh, clean water every day. And if this guy on a desert island can do it with rocks and plastic and a cup, surely we can industrialize that. Surely, like, you, there's a way a cost to fit. If it gets to the point that Nestle and them are, are own all the water. I, I mean, like quite literally, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting like when that happens, everybody will have this method. No, that's the beauty about free trade. Literally, when something becomes too expensive for the average person to afford, the average person somewhere figures out a way around it to make it cheaper for everybody else to more easily access. So we all like benefit. This one person ends up making money by like outsmarting the people that have a monopoly. And there's like so many great examples of this in history. Uh, uh, but, I mean, hell, when we were growing up, the the fear was that I saw this newspaper clipping the other day, and it was like, can Sam Walton's store compete against giants of Kmart and like three other name brands I've never heard of? And it was Walmart starting out. Yeah. And, you know, when I was growing up, malls were going to replace all of uh, Middle America, and uh, I, you know, to to give some devil his due, like they did have an impact, but like like these these giant power centers don't last just based on their very nature. They they get the same problem giant corporations have is the exact same problem giant governments have. There's two, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, and the cost of that miscommunication and misalignment somehow begins adding up. It, it will and snowball out of effect, and the only way those gigantic things can stay afloat, I believe, is through manipulating 
what collects the taxes, which is the government, to help them stay afloat. Like my dad owns a small business, and I, I was explaining this to him. I said, like, when Walmart wants to have a, like, store-wide change, they have to get every single different location on the same page do the same thing. And even with something as uniform as Walmart, that is such an incredibly hard task to do. Imagine doing that before the internet. Dude, you'd have to just, oh, God, imagine, imagine collaborating, collaborating, that's not right, collaborating, <laughs> English, uh, imagine collaborating like any gigantic get-together before the internet, that, uh, what a headache, but my dad, to change anything in his business of like, t- not even 10 employees, I don't think, like literally, he goes, walks, open a do- opens a door, he goes, hey, we're doing things like this now, <laughs> like, and, and, and I'm going to see how everyone, like, smaller, more efficient. Smaller organisms in nature are more maneuverable and better like at moving than big. That's why small, supposedly, if all the evolution theory we have is true, which I don't think it's all true, but I think there's a big chunk of it that is, uh, you know, small little animals survived great extinctions because they could go hide in places and they could adjust to the conditions around them. Large quantities of food. Yeah. And more. And so you just let things go on its own. The, Power structure like just erodes itself and becomes obsolete and it goes out everywhere else. But, you know, like lefties will point out, these giant corporations can buy influence and manipulate it where that, where they're... The government bails them out because they're too big to fail. Yes, and both sides support this so hard in Washington. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, and the worst thing is it makes all the resources they're consuming for their business it makes it go to bigger and bigger waste. Like literally the better, like this is something about money. So many people don't realize the better you are with money. And, and I'm, I'm not the best with this. I'm not, I'm not talking as a, as someone who's personally great with it. Uh, uh, but the, the more efficient you are with money, the more efficient you are at taking what you consume and making a greater output with it, at least on its bare bones value. But, uh, like even, even, and I know some people will be like, oh, what about like a bank that just sits around and makes money and doesn't do anything with it? In its current net form now with how it's regulated that the big players win and the, the, you don't hear of a lot of new banks starting up that aren't started by gigantic corporations. Uh, if you have that out of the way, actually like the bank serves a purpose on they are alloc- you are you're paying to have money now in its, re- in its most, most raw form. You're paying a premium on having money now. They have the money to loan you so you can go do things and give them a return on their investment. And in that raw form, I like banks. In their current state now, don't touch my property. Uh, Hippity hoppity, stay off my property. The same as a dirty hippie, the same as a tax man, the same as a corporate man. Like, oh, y'all, stay away. Unless I've signed a contract to pay you a certain fee, then I am obligated to pay you that fee upon signing. Then, like, yeah, duh. Uh, So... I don't even know where I started out with that rant, but oh, water. Yes, it should be easier. <laughs> so I, I was, a lot of this, you know, I listen to stuff while I'm on a tractor. And I was listening, I can't even tell you what I was listening to. It might have been Joe Rogan talk, it might have been, but they were talking about like these high end celebrity hypnotists that like quite like when a millionaire celebrity wants to quit smoking, this hypnotist comes and, and, you know, messes with them. 
And they said, now, the crowd hypnotist, well, you know, like, that's, like, the most high end. But, like, uh, the one that, like, at our project graduation that was, like, oh, I, I guess made uh, one of our friends cluck like a chicken. Like, right? Uh, and, you know, they'll bring you up on stage. Hey, I'm going to do this. When I snap my fingers, you'll think you're talking to Mel Gibson. And, like, really, like, whenever he does it and snap, they really believe they're talking to Mel Gibson. But here's the thing with that. When they're doing, like when they're about to hypnotize somebody, what they're saying in this conversation I'm listening to is that there's certain types of people they can't hypnotize. They'll like, they'll go to do it and they kind of just like look, study the person they're doing it to. They're like, no, nah, you, got, you got to go sit down. I'm sorry, it's just not going to work on you. Like you're just the, the and it's not like they're incredibly smart people or anything like that. It's just like, there's something about the way your brain works compared to everybody else that, that I can't hypnotize you. Like, maybe you're not believing it hard enough. Maybe I, that might have something to do with it. But I, listening to that, my, as y'all have been telling, my brain just kind of shoots off in different directions. I got to thinking, what if, what if the ability of being hypnotized, not the ability... What if you being able to be hypnotized is a is a evidence that you're like a non-playable character in this game? So like if you and if you don't know like quite what that means, there's a, there's a meme that goes around on the internet of like uh, there's people that think for themselves and actually have like monologue in their heads, and that's like the main character in a video game. But then there are these other people in video games, non-playable characters, that just it's the blacksmith. All he does is. All he's programmed to ever do is go smith on a stone for a little bit, sell you some stuff, go to sleep, repeat. That's all. And so it's the, the analogy is there's people like that in real life, a lot of them vote, uh, that are just non-playable characters going through the motions. And so tying off my, my first thing of what if this reality isn't so um, you know concrete like we think it is, what if a sign of being a non-playable character is that you can be hypnotized? But if you have something intrinsically individual about yourself, that's, that's not a right way to say that. If you have something like, like, if you're an actual unique person, maybe if you have a soul, you can't be hypnotized. And maybe it's just something to do with people that don't have souls. Just a th There's no evidence to back up what I'm saying. This is just random shoot-from-the-hip thoughts, but... Maybe. What a terrible life. I'm just going to go blacksmith all day. <laughs> and some guy's going to come trade me like four chicken heads and take all my good stuff. Y you know what? It really makes me wonder. I mean, we, we have like, you know, uh, we got writings from people in the past that we found. Like people that really think for themselves. You know, like the famous ones are Aristotle and Socrates. And I'm sure there's even the ones that all the the philosophy majors could cite i bet there's a bunch we don't even know about that existed but uh i really think this a it's funny i was talking to my dad about this not that long ago a lot of these go that way i really think our access to the internet and information has put a new meta on the human informational capacity like not just not on just how many different things we can think about but the fact that just like all of y'all are hearing my opinion we can now hear so many different opinions of opposing not even just opposing sides and sides i disagree with 
That's two 180-degree angles, and there's 360 around both of those, you know. it's it's. This might be creating a whole new type of person that us millennials are kind of... I, I used to say my grandparents' generation, who were born in the 30s, had to see, like, the most crazy change throughout their lifetime. They went from... Got everything's analog is new stuff like to net to stuff they can't even make sense of now stuff we have a hard time making sense of now. Imagine what it's gonna be like in just fifty years. Oh, and people like look how easy like children pick up anything and just go right with it. And it's people are gonna be different. And and you know it's funny if you've ever heard of Plato's Cave. It's something when I was younger, I could never conceptualize. Have you ever heard of this allegory, Plato's Cave? I don't think so. Oh, well, okay. Well, it's, all right, you, you got to use your, and I'm doing a little rainbow motion above my head, imagination. You really <laughs> got to use that. Uh, so Plato has this allegory of what he believed reality to be. He said what it is, what we're going through, and this is, this is back in the B.C. times, he said, what society is, it's very analogous to, to three men that are sitting in a cave. They're sitting in a very dark cave, and they're chained, and they can only look at a wall. They can only look at one wall in the cave. That's their entire existence. All they know is looking at this wall. And there's a guy behind them that has a fire going that they can't see the fire, but the, the guy can hold up different shapes and throw shadows on the wall. And the men argue and bicker about these three men chained up their entire life. What these shadows that they're seeing are, what this reality, they this false reality they perceive as real, what it is. And they're trying to interpret it. Well, one day, one of the, one of the men chained up breaks free and he actually goes and, and he actually looks behind himself for the first time ever, uh, and for you people sitting there going like, why didn't he just ever look behind himself before? Shut up. It's a philosophical allegory. Yes, he didn't. Uh, and anyways, he, he, he lacked the ability to, all right? Uh, he, he breaks away, looks behind, not only sees the fire and stuff, but like, and let's say that stuff's in a separate room, so he can't like just tell the guys. He runs out of the room, runs out of the cave, and actually sees the world, sees sunlight for the first time, and trees and plants and birds and shit. And he like, it, it, it almost like makes him cry and go crazy at how insane reality is behind, beyond what he thought it was. And so he runs back into the cave. He breaks back into this old prison and goes down to the guy and says, y'all won't fucking believe this. We've been looking at shadows and look at all this like crazy stuff that reality actually is. And Plato says, the sad thing is the two guys are going to go, you're crazy. Sit down and keep looking at the shadows like we've always done. You and. It's pretty nut. It's almost like a guy bringing up the Matrix, the concept for the movie The Matrix, but in 500 BCE. Simon uh, and Garfunkel sang about it in the, the song Sound of Silence. Dude, I don't know. Uh, it, all right, you just unlocked something in my head I haven't thought about for a while. And I know this is almost like a, a cringe middle schooler conversation when they first hear about this, but I'm bringing it up at 30. Fight me. Uh, 31, whatever. Uh, Dude, there's so much in that song that is, like, true today. But even, like, I have Googled what the hell, like, what was their intent on writing the song? Because 
I mean, like, dude, listen. If Chris Evans playing Captain America can trick me into believing he is the most, like, awesome, real patriot ever that questions his government and all that, and really he's the the, the Chris Evans in real life with terrible takes from a very rich person. I, I don't trust these entertainers in my interpretation of them. So I've Googled it. I haven't been able to figure out what that song it means. Merce, what does it mean to you? Oh, it's just like trying to explain something to people. They're not listening. Ignorance. I guess so. Uh, okay. Oh. I, I've never actually put it in the same slot as Plato's Cave, but I like it. It's, it's pretty much the same thing, how you deceive a bunch of people. Uh, that, that's what I've gotten out of it. And when it talks about worshiping the neon god they praise or whatever, it's like, oh, that's a TV yep, or a phone or whatever they're using to, to control our... To control... It's not even... I mean, it is to control what we think but it's to control the channels of information and they've always tried to do this it's we're like this elon musk buying twitter and i'm not even gonna get too hard into it because a lot of it is stock crap that is so far over my head but uh the one thing that is interesting everybody is showing their cards as to why they don't want him to buy it like and it's funny even on something as corporate-y as IGN, do you know what IGN is? The the video game oh, magazine. What? Thing that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's a kind of a nerd. It started out as a nerd magazine when we were little, and now it's like just a Facebook page you see pop up in your feed every now and then. But it was that most political takes that I've seen IGN have is something I personally just don't agree with. It's like uh, that's uh, it's the same corporate-y doing the same dance as all the other th- crap is. But it's like when it posted this, I could tell it was like, ooh, Elon Musk is looking to buy Twitter. Isn't that scary? And you saw like the ratio. I, I love looking at the ratio of like angry faces to sad faces. To, and it's all like happy love. What Like everyone's, all the plebs are excited about it. Because at least, you know, if you're going to have an oligarch, at least have one you know of that be- at least says he believes in free speech. I have... My only thought is just, just do it. Yeah. I just want to see. I just want to see the bomb go off and just the, what's going to ensue. Yeah. And I really, you know, I'm. <laughs> I'll say this: there is one good leftist meme. Everyone says the left can't meme. There is there is one good one, and it's a scene from The Simpsons of where a poo gets shot like six times, and Homer's jumping in front of the seventh bullet to take it, and it says like above a poo, it says uh, some random some billionaire that doesn't give a shit about you, and on on Homer Simpson, it says some dumbass on the internet taking a bullet for him, and the gun is like a leftist criticism of the billionaire. I, I, I'm i not sitting here saying Elon Musk is the most altruistic. Right? For all I know, he's a mad dude that's just playing for keeps and r- shaking the shaking the game board a little bit. I think he's got too much money and is bored. Yeah, like, and even if that's the case, even if he's just a chaotic neutral, at least it makes our reality more interesting. I, I feel like, yeah, he's, he's like, okay, I'm building rockets to Mars. He just wakes up and he's like, huh, what a... Can I get into today with my billions? Can I dig tunnels underneath the city of LA? I believe I can. I'm a South African. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so, like, with him doing that, but I I think it was, uh, (laughs) I almost called him Buck Sexton. Uh, what is he? He's a terrible corporate conservative journalist. Uh, Max Boot. That's his name. Max Boot. Uh, he, uh. And he's like, good God, the the only thing wrong with every American intervention is that we didn't send enough troops, pour enough money into it, and didn't kill enough people and introduce them to enough freedom. Uh, that, you know, that's this guy's 
shit corporate take. But uh, one of his big articles that got a lot of traction was like, here is why it's dangerous for an oligarch to manage Twitter and not a government agency that should like censor speech. And it's like, all right, you know, we've all suspected it. It's another confirmation that these people are just trying, trying to squash dissenting opinions that lot. And, and to, to some of the left, you're like, no, but I, I see these right wingers still able to see this, to say the certain things. It's like, oh yeah, they don't care if right wingers argue about certain points. But like I heard Ryan Dawson say, who is both an incredible investigative journalist and a shit poster. So it's like you walk a fine line on what, what he's doing, but he's been banned. He was banned off of America online. Like he was the first guy and not for like, not for like criminal stuff for like, as he put it, uh, you know, you can go on YouTube today and still find people talking about flat earth and still find people talking about the moon landing is fake. You can still talk, hear people talk about hollow earth, which what, believe to what degree of any of that you want. I don't care. Uh, because you, you start finding people that criticize Israel. Oh, that's, that's dangerous information. That's banned. And, but I ain't got nothing against Jews, but it's like the Israeli state is just a, like a little baby of the American empire that it uses to leapfrog every, it do atrocities everywhere over there. Um, but you start talking about them and you are yoinked. You are, or anything, anything you're Alex. You're instantly anti-Semitic. And- uh, yeah, and it's all, it's all the worst, which, uh, hey, you know what? A little story about my hometown that I, like, this is, this is one of the most, you want to talk about, like, uh, uh, for anyone who thinks I'm anti-progressive, one of the most beautiful things in my life was something progressive, but it was so organic. It was so like not set up by a corporate PR person was the beautiful thing about it. We have a uh, Christmas parade every single year in our small town, like a lot of small towns do. And, uh, you know, on the Christmas parade, different things sponsor different floats. Like you'll have like the, uh, the, the Elks Club sponsor one. You'll have, uh, so, but, well, our high school class, graduating class sponsored a float that we got into. I think it was like my junior year. And in this Christmas parade, now not a Christmas or not a winter parade, not a holiday parade, specifically a Christmas parade. Like our town doesn't do the, the <laughs> they scream Merry Christmas at people because they watch Fox News, <laughs> but <laughs> admittedly, but uh, you no, will have a Merry Christmas. But the 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 lady who like put our float together, I, I'm I'm. I don't want to put like I don't want to be wrong, but I'm pretty sure she was like ethnically and religiously Jewish. And here's the thing, she won the Christmas parade. And like to me, like when I'm like, my little redneck town was like, hey, you know what? You do something different with the prayer, but you made a hell of a float on that on that four axle trailer. And by God, we're gonna give it to you because you made little baby Jesus best you could. And it's like, no, there was no. I never heard one complaint from that family at all that it was like, a, it was like, everyone's like, here's the thing we got to do. Let's do it. Let's do it our best. And she like helped us out with our graduation like so much. And I'm like, that's awesome. And by the way, country Jews, most interesting Jews I've ever met in my life. They're, they're awesome. Uh, so yeah, on that note, but still step, it's not just the state of Israel, by the way, it's, it's all the states, all, all the heads of, I don't know. May I don't like it when when people speak in broad generalizations, but just about every 
government you could study on does some kind of atrocious thing one way or another. So uh, unless, hey, the same challenge I always offer to everybody else, if you can find something correcting me, please send it to me. And if you try Mayflower Compact, you are a communist and it didn't work. So there's that. Uh, all right, that, that was mostly a joke, but it like I guess all right, my, I gotta artistically explain my joke, like the terrible comedian I am. Uh, I heard, and by the way, I'm open to like all contradictions pointing the other way. Uh, that the reason the Mayflower Compact was like one of the actual, I shouldn't say one of the first communist doctrines ever, because there have been communal societies. But from what I understand, when they landed here, they're like, hey. Kind of like everybody owns everything and we're all like going to, it's a communal living and we're all going to help each other survive. And they made it through like two or three winters and they were like, this doesn't work. Like we are, we're starving to death. It's, it's bad. Uh, we need to start trading and develop some kind of, I don't even know if they developed a, a technical currency and I, I get into it in detail before like I pledge this is the truth. Like I got to go back and read it, but I'm pretty sure they ended up having to do a lot of tr- trading that wasn't exactly communal in order to survive. And that's how their descendants ended up scratching it out. But by the way, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, bandit, you're absolutely wrong. Here's the evidence. Send it to me. I'll dig through it and I will, I will notify the, the, I'll try to make a note on the show of, Hey, here's somebody that, that changed my way of thinking. I'm going to try to denote that every single time. Uh, and all right. Well, on, on one last thing tonight, um, this past week, I'm riding a tractor. I'm taking a break. I'm like, you know, it's my lunch or whatever. And I'm looking up and I get this video recommendation on YouTube um, that says CIA cover-up wars, uh, CIA cover-ups, wars, and other things as told by a former CIA operative. I'm like, well, this is too good to be true. This must be like some YouTuber that's about to read off some journal of some, you know, and I, I listen to that, like YouTubers tell stories and stuff. Like, this must be something along those lines. And I open it up, just not something I'm going to take so seriously, but probably something that's fun and interesting to listen to. And it's not that at all. It's a two and a half hour video of C-SPAN. I don't know if you remember C-SPAN, but that was like, people, all right, a lot of people say, I want unbiased news that doesn't have an opinion and isn't full of all this entertainment crap. No, you don't, because we tried that, and it was C-SPAN. You know what? Nobody watched it. No, It was, it was just <laughs> It was just like them, like city, anything from state legislator meetings to the house to the floor to like questionnaires of college professors, and nobody watched it. Uh, I, I, hang on, hang on. Nobody in small towns watched it. Well, we click off to that stuff. It's got to be football or something else. Uh, but so this this is like a recording of a C-SPAN video of I believe from 1988 or 89 of a Mr. John Stockwell. And I'll say this: it's two and a half hours long, and I'm like, there's there's no way I'll be I'm, I'm gonna be on a tractor for five hours. After, I, after I've discovered this, but there's no way I'm sitting down listening to something for two and a half hours. Cue the little SpongeBob SquarePants cue card. Two and a half hours later. Dude, I, I thought I knew a lot about the CIA, but it's one of those things where you know a little bit about something, so you think you know a lot until you start actually learning about it and realize you hardly know anything. You look up John Stockwell, 
listen about this guy. He is a former CIA operative. I think he served from like the late sixties, but what most Vietnam to like Latin American operations, yeah. uh, to like the eighties to, to, till Reagan was in office because he talks about Reagan. This is a legit John Stockwell, a legit ex CIA operative who managed operations and, and former soldier and former Marine yeah. from South Texas as like, Apple pie as they get big old like handlebar mustache too. Looks like a badass from 1988. Uh, and God, look him up. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to break down the whole two and a half hour thing here. I'm just going to give you some highlights of it. Uh, good God. He, what, what he did, he managed operations in Angola, which I believe I'm a pretty good at geography. That one's a little hazy for me. I'm pretty sure it's down in Africa just because I associate that continent with it. Uh, and the stuff he gets into, Merce listened to a little bit about it. Merce, what, if you just had to like generalize an over-the-top, or not not an over-the-top, a, a basis summary of what he said, what, what would you say of what you listened to? CIA is bad? CIA is bad. Let me tell you, I knew they were bad. This is horrifying. This and this is in '88 or '89. He's giving this speech. He's he's giving a speech to a college. This is before the CIA had internet. This is before the CIA had internet. Yes, and I. uh, Now here's the thing. Here's how they introduce him. All right, those like speakers, like the lady, the. I guess you'd call her the MC. No, she wouldn't be the MC, but it's something akin to that. Lady announced him's like, "This is John Stockwell, ex-Marine and CIA operative. He wrote this book." Uh, what is it? Secret Wars or something like that, Merce? Uh, yeah, and, but, she, and then but doesn't doesn't want you to buy the book. Does not want, and he cannot stress he's the only author that does not want you to buy his nonfiction book because the CIA sued him, and now all royalties from the book get directly paid to the CIA instead of John Stockwell. Uh, and so. Yeah, and it's him explaining, like, one of the things he talked about is when you hear about our intelligence department gaining intelligence from, like, let's just say Angola. That's his example because he, he worked there. He said, how he goes, this is how we do it. He said, we actually have a CIA crew in Angola who has, that you, which came out in Operation, in the church committee, it came out in Operation Mockingbird that, like, the CIA inside the U.S., had up to 400 agents inside journal, uh, journalistic, journalist agencies. Yeah, newspapers and media and media agencies. That's what I'm trying to get at. And abroad, the number was much higher. Uh, and he said, what you'd do is like you had like the Angola Times. That would print a story. And he said, we would sell it to Congress or the Intelligence Committee of Congress. Like, hey, look, the Angola Times just printed that there's a genocide massacre going on down there. And we need X amount of dollars to get Stinger missiles and machine guns and ammo and Blackhawks and CIA troops, uh, maybe a, a, a Marine. I don't know the sizes, but a small Marine squad to go down there and take care of things. It was actually at the Angola Times. We have operatives that are working for them that just made up the story that they and ship it to the states. So that's one. They create their own narrative. And you know, and you wonder. My biggest problem with conspiracy theories, uh, like aside from the very obvious ones, is like, how does all this work? What does like everybody just do? How does thousands of people required? It's my it's my biggest problem with the nine eleven truthers. Is like, admittedly. How do you keep all of this a secret? 
the number of people it would take to pull this off, it's extremely hard for me to believe they could all keep that quiet, which that's still today my biggest problem with it. And I'm not saying John Stockwell's explanation explains how 9-11 could have been done by the government, but it's just for other things. He goes, how, how we do it? He goes, the people working at the, the offices in the states don't really know about the nuts and bolts and the, the, how to make the sausage the CIA does. He goes, they just work in the offices close to Washington. And he goes, you don't call them up and say, we're going to assassinate somebody today. He goes, no, no, no. You call them up and you say, hey, we have a conflict brewing down here in Angola in the southeastern province or whatever I'm making up. Uh, and we need a small marine re- squad to come down here and just help us do some police action to make sure things doesn't get out of control. Said the Marine Squad will leave and it'll come. Or maybe it's not maybe it's not even a Marine Squad, maybe it's a group of CIA agents. I'm not not exactly sure how it works. But pretty much by the time that regiment or whatever gets down there to Angola, that's when the CIA and the field squad, this would be like John Stockwell sits down with them and goes like, No, this is what you're actually doing. You're not on a police mission. You're here to kill this guy. He's our police action to take care of. And what are you going to do? Not follow orders now that you're in Angola, surrounded by the CIA? Go out there and kill our enemies. And, dude, he goes into explicit detail. Like I said, it's two and a half hours. And it's, it's fascinating. He goes into uh angola he goes into tibet he he brings up taiwan and i if anyone who knows about current events recently you're like oh little old taiwan that we love who stands up to the chinese and yet and hey i don't like the chinese government they're one of the worst governments ever but hasn't our media been just telling us to support Taiwan and that they're great no matter what? And it's like, here's John Stockwell in 1988 going like, yeah, the CIA did stuff to mess with how we look at Taiwan. And not only that, now here, here's a kicker I'm really going to like throw in here. A lot of the stuff he talks about in this specific discussion, which we're going to have like a link to it, maybe in the description, we'll see how that goes, is he brings up Costa Rica, he brings up Ecuador, he brings up Honduras. He brings up, I uh, don't think Panama, but Merce, where was Contra? And Nicaragua. Nicaragua. He brings up all of them and how, like, dude, he goes, we tell our troops we're going in here to police action against communists. And he goes, these damn people have never heard of communism or capitalism. They just know they don't like foreign troops here telling them what to do. So the bunch of the, just like we would bunch of rednecks do in our neck of the woods, if a bunch of foreigners just start showing up and bossing us around with guns, they all get together and plan to resist. And then the CIA brings in helicopters that mow them and their families down. Or the CIA, if, if they don't want to get their hands dirty, they pay off the Contras who then buy machine guns, who then the CIA are fully aware of are about to go over the hill and murder everybody. Uh... And now here's my question to a lot of conservatives who I believe have a very valid point on immigration. You know, when did immigration like pick up, really start going crazy from Latin America to this country? In like the late 80s, early 90s, right? People started getting the hell out of their houses and farms that have been devastated and, you know, genocide not it's not genocide because they're not killing them 
They're not killing them based on their genetic material. They're killing them based on whether or not they'll agree with this new power structure coming into their country. And everyone gets the hell... Why is there immigrants from the Middle East flowing into Europe and making big problems for them? Oh, the Middle East has been bombed for 20 years. So people that can get out are... And, yet, and it, admittedly, conservatives, you have a point. It, it sucks that they're like coming here and bringing their culture and like up... I disagree with, I, I do love tacos and I do like the, personally, I like Spanish language, but no, you have a point. If you don't want, if you've been paying, if you've been getting your rob, money robbed from you to pay for public schools your whole life and some new people come in that haven't paid into the system and don't pay and they're getting a free education out of it. I'm not saying that fully justifies keeping someone at gunpoint from moving here that's buying property from someone that lives here. I'm saying you've got points and they shouldn't be ignored. Just like the other side has points that shouldn't be ignored and it's a sticky situation. My, my point is the reason we're in this sticky situation or at least a large portion of it is directly due to the government's involvement in these places. Is, and also, why are the drug cartels so bad? You know, they... There's been drug, there's been drug smugglers and producers and pushers ever since there's been drugs. This is this is something as old as mankind. In the South, we had moonshiners when they, you know, that's even even before it was made illegal. There have just always been people that home grow pot, home brew everything, uh, just for their own satisfaction. But you know, I'm trying. Oh God, I gotta I gotta think of the cartel's name. The I can't remember if it was the CIA or the FBI or it, it must have been the CIA because it was in a foreign country. But uh, back whenever they wanted to rein in the drug cartels, and I think it was the early 90s or mid-90s, they trained a task force. Now, the one thing I know that's questionable is the name. I want to say they were called the Zetas. The, the, some federal agency trained them to go in and take out a lot of the drug kingpins. Uh, and they did a very, like, the, they got trained in how to do it and how these drug cartels operate and all the ins and outs of them. And the Zetas went down there and they took out a large, uh, a lot of the heads of the drug cartels. And then you know what they did? They turned around and said, hey, this looks like such a great gig. Why don't we start doing this? And drug cartel violence goes from, like, something akin to what you'd see in Crips versus Bloods, like, just drive-bys and shit, like, bad stuff, but them shooting each other. That's when it starts going from that to we're going to kidnap your relative and put them in a burn barrel and set them on fire and put it on camera for you to see. That's when it starts getting cranked way up. And where did they Where did they learn these methods from? Up and it's like, dude, literally this agency is making making monsters for us to deal with. Like it's firsthand monsters for the people of these areas to deal with. And it becomes our second hand, not a problem as bad as they had, admittedly. We don't have Yui choppers with miniguns tearing down our villages, but God, it's, again, you can point it back to foreign intervention and meddling by our government. Uh, CIA is, uh, it makes me wonder like this. Anyways, back to, to John Stockwell, listen to this whole thing. And don't just trust my ramblings. As he puts it, he's not the first CIA officer to go public. Uh, he's just the first one to go public and be honest about it. 
And, and stay alive. And, oh, yeah. But side note, he's still alive. He gives a speech in like 88 or 89. The dude, I Wikipedia'd him. He, he's still alive today. Or the CIA added his Wikipedia page to make him still look alive. But it, supposedly he's still alive. And playing devil's advocate, this was like, well, there's a question and answer at the end. And one of, uh, one of the people asked him, they go, give us your best argument against yourself. Like the guy talks for like an hour and a half of just atrocities. And he goes, the college student goes, well, give us like one straw man against yourself. What's one argument you've heard good? And John Stockwell goes, well, to be honest, it's all bullshit. Everything that's brought up against me goes, but the closest thing I've heard to something feasible that's based on honesty is I was giving this speech at like a veterans association place. And one of the veterans, he goes, a little bit of a redneck guy, stands up and goes, yeah, you know, this is all bullshit. You're selling books and you're just making money. This is just a racket because you hate our country and you're just trying to dog it down. And the guy's like admittedly like a little bit of a liberal Democrat. Like don't. Uh, like he's for government doing like bringing more education and more stuff like he's simple. But despite that, the guy's like, oh, this is just a racket you're doing to make money. And John Stockwell goes like, I'll, I'll be honest, I make money off these speeches and the CIA doesn't let me make money off of my book as, as you people here have heard tonight. He goes, but I can promise you my speaking fees is not one tenth of what Ollie North gets paid to say. And, uh, yeah, Ollie North, or Oliver North, as you might know from if you ever grew up watching Fox News or anything like that, is the talking head that always comes on to talk about uh, anything military-related. And he always has our country's best interest at mind. That's, that's why he traded drug money for weapons with Iran and the Contras. And it, that's a story for another time. But... Everybody, I really want to thank y'all for uh, downloading, subscribing, viewing on YouTube. Uh, this this is really blowing my mind uh, that what what the numbers are doing off of three episodes so far. I feel like we're getting better. Uh, thank y'all for being patient with the low quality of the first two and the random assortedness of the Bandit's brain. Follow me on Twitter at Bandit Radio Hour, and uh, stay tuned on YouTube and your RSS feed or wherever you listen to. Thank you all very much. Have a good week.